Hello and welcome to Southern Songs and Stories, where we showcase the music of the South and the artists who make it. This is episode two in our journey back in time to Greenacres Music Hall in a little woodsy corner of western North Carolina. It was a place where many outstanding regional and national bands playing bluegrass, folk, rock, swing, blues, and many times a fusion of some or all of these forms would come to play on most every weekend for almost four decades. It was far, far off the beaten path, and the infrastructure was mostly improvised, but the results were often magical. The music playing now is the song Barney's Breakdown from the band Flying Mice. From a Greenacre show on the outdoor stage on July 22, 1995, captured on cassette, Flying Mice was a Durham, North Carolina band fronted by John Shane. And in this later lineup, he was joined by bassist Aaron Oliva and Ben Saffer on guitar and banjo, Mike Simonson on drums, and Don Wright at this show. Flying Mice was often called psychedelic bluegrass as they liked to bridge vintage bluegrass influences into their rock and blues jams. Southern Songs and Stories is part of the Osiris Network. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts, connecting music fans like you with conversation, commentary, and of course, lots of music. Check out OsirisPod.com for more great podcasts. You'll hear more about Osiris at the end of the episode. We are sponsored by Dynamite Roasting, the world's best 100% certified organic and fair trade coffee. Roasted with love in Black Mountain, North Carolina, dynamiteroasting.com and we're hopefully sponsored by you when you join us as a patron and help keep this series going more information on our website at southernsongsandstories.com and on our crowdfunding page patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories you can subscribe to Southern Songs and Stories podcasts on our website as well as iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher SoundCloud and TuneIn please take a moment to rate the show comment on the podcasts on those platforms. It is tremendously helpful in our effort to spread awareness of Southern Songs and Stories and the artists we spotlight. And we hope you will support the music of the artists you enjoy hearing on the show. Even though the performances we're highlighting are from decades ago, all of these artists are still out touring and making music. They wouldn't be able to do it without support from people like you. Mr. Don Wright, folks, there he is. How about him? Maybe we'll get him back up in a little while. I saw the Sam Bush band there the first time they came, and uh, and Calvin was in the band, Daryl Scott and Larry Adamanouk was playing. And, you know, and that just changed my life. One of my favorite stories revolve around Nile, that he was such a funny guy. He was such a 
he loved music, he loved musicians, and he was just so much fun. And he really basically just wanted people to have fun at Green Acres. And he'd always say to folks when they'd come out, you know, hit the field. And that meant you can camp here, you know, don't, you know, don't have libation and don't have adult beverages and leave, you know, just camp here and have a good time and enjoy yourself. It's tremendously hard to stay in business with bluegrass without having some really substantial draws continually in, in off season. And that's the trick to stay in business with bluegrass. It was a lawless era in a lot of ways in music. There were a lot of things going on. One of the things that we didn't have then in Metropolitan Airs, we did not have outdoor concerts unless it was, you know, a Pops kind of thing or um, John Philip Sousa, you know, marching band things or classical in the gazebo by the river or whatever. There weren't outdoor festivals. They didn't exist. But it only cost two bucks to get Green Acres in the beginning. So everybody kind of had two bucks on Saturday night if you had the musical love and intelligence to know where you could see something incredible for two or three bucks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Green Acres. (laughs) Hey, remember this is a family affair. Let's respect whoever's sitting next to you, who's camped next to you, the neighbors next door. And hey, let me tell you, I'm serious right now. I've said this before, but still, after all these years, my favorite band, Acoustic Syndicate!
show Syndicate with The Ride, introduced by Steve Metcalf from their show at Green Acres on August 17th, 2002. I've got a full episode of them here on Southern Songs and Stories, by the way. Ahead of the Syndicate, some quotes which included one-time Acoustic Syndicate member Darren Aldridge, writer and performer Carol Rifkin, Green Acres regular and sometimes MC Vicki Dameron, former club owner Phil Dennis, and Meddy, the little king, Steve Metcalf. Stick around for more conversations with artists like Bela Fleck, John Cowan, Darren Aldridge, Carol Rifkin, Sandy Carlton, and the band Acoustic Syndicate, along with others, including Ashley Capps of AC Entertainment. We'll also feature more live music recorded at the Acres, 
as we have been able to dive into more tapes in Steve Metcalf's collection, which dates back to 1984, and live shows on archive.org. In our first episode, we touched on some of the history of the music scene in the region and how rough things could get with biker gangs taking over outdoor festivals and rock clubs. And in this episode, we get to some more of the history of the live music business in the 80s and 90s. You know, the days when you didn't buy tickets online, but at a window after you waited in line, or even at your local record store. Our first episode was well-received and got a lot of response, so thanks to everyone who shared it and spread awareness of our series. It makes a big difference when you can take a few moments and rate this podcast, and especially leaving comments. For some comments that I got on our first episode, I found that I was off on one piece of information, which was about the original Greenacres building. It wasn't built to be an auction house. Rather, it was built to be a concert hall and then was also used as an auction house. Gary Cuthbertson, Niall's nephew, informed me of this. Even that story has its own twist. Niall had been renting nearby Hollis Music Hall to play on weekends with his band, The Country Drifters. Once Hollis Music Hall started to make money, the owners took control, so Niall started his own venue, calling it Green Acres. There are other stones unturned since last time as well, like a place in neighboring Cleveland County called Brackett Cedar Park, which also brought in artists that were fusing bluegrass and country with rock elements and is still going. I spoke with Sandy Carlton, who was the founding member of a band that played at Green Acres many times called Mama Said. They were also on Steve's record label, Little King. Sandy has played music for more than 50 years as a sideman or band leader, and he revealed some interesting history of other venues in nearby Cleveland County, North Carolina, that I was not familiar with, like Brackett Cedar Park, the Ponderosa, and the Bluegrass Inn. A guy, Don Roscombe, had moved to North Carolina from Chicago and decided that he wanted a music venue. I played in a local band at that time, and he hired us to play there. Now, at that time, the band I was playing in was like another band from that era, a band called Les Honk. We played bluegrassious music. Uh, It was basically banjos, fiddles, guitars, but we also had electric guitars and drums. And we played bluegrass and gospel music and rock and roll. It's kind of a weird venue where you could go do a dance called the Paul Jones, where the band would play an instrumental and you'd go in a circle. The guys would go in a circle one way and the women would go in a circle another. And then we'd stop playing and you'd dance with whoever was in front of you, which was a unique thing to a a dance into where a lot of young people and a lot of old people both intermingled there. One of the similarities between Brackett Cedar Park and Green Acres was how generous they were towards their artists. Bands brought home a good bit of money on many nights at both. At the beginning, Sandy's group Peeler's Mill Band would get all of the door at Brackett Cedar Park, $10 a head, and they would fill the place regularly. The venue made its money on the food it served, and the arrangement worked well for both parties. Eventually, bands wouldn't get all the door there, but it was still a better deal than many places. Of course, nothing was guaranteed, and there were always lean times for those venues and artists, basically all the venues and artists then and now. Steve Metcalf. So many good ones came through. I couldn't have a special act, but my money-making acts were Newgrass Revival, and then 
bailiff like in the flight tunnels. Well, they did pretty well, too. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'd lose money for two months, three, I mean, eight Saturdays in a row. And then new grass had come in. And all of a sudden, it became a profit-making thing. And then they'd leave, and I'd go through another drought of another uh, several months of nobody comes until new grass comes back. And then when new grass fell apart, the flectones took over that spot for Green Acres <laughs> of, of bringing them, the masses to the— although it's a long story, Joe. Most of the people uh, had to have a— uh, second job, a part-time job, a full-time job. J.D. Crow is an, one of the uh, prime examples. He also worked at the post office during his whole bluegrass career. Also, when, when I first started playing uh, bluegrass, there was a lot of, you can play for hot dogs, for food, or the exposure. Not a lot of, not a lot of money. So I, I know that all the people that I know that worked at it full time as a musician did something else in some way or another. Or, or, or they all lived together and uh, it was almost communal living so they could survive. Sandy's former band Mama Said with his tune Mavis from their album Runnin' with Scissors. Sandy on bass, Nancy Owen on rhythm guitar and vocals, Randy Saxon on banjo and vocals, and Phil Ruff on 12-string guitar and vocals. Our conversation took me back through some of my memories of the 80s. Were you seeing live music in the 80s? 
think about the live music experience then. It could be a great game show to transport someone born in the age of cell phones back to the 80s with, say, $20 in their pocket, a couple of maps, and a handbill, and see if they could take a road trip, see a show, and couch surf before winding their way back home. People love to knock the 80s. I mean, there's a lot not to like, let's be honest. But think about it this way. The live music scene, and music in general, was a lot more important in many ways then. In terms of how much entertainment was available, live music did not have most of the media we have today to compete with. There was TV, which had a handful of channels, unless you had cable. You had movie theaters. You had, what the heck else did you have to keep you from going to see a show? There was no social media. To FaceTime your friends, you had to spend actual FaceTime. To survey the social scene, you had to get up and put yourself in that scene. And it didn't cost all that much to go. I could see top-tier acts in the 80s for between $10 and $20. Of course, inflation makes that more like $22 to $44 today, but you're not going to see a Pink Floyd or a Neil Young-level act for anywhere close to that now. Considering that you're probably paying a couple hundred dollars a month on cell phone, internet, and video services, it's no surprise that you might just stay home and stream the live show if you can find it, or just scroll over your feed to see what your friends who are there are posting on social media. So if you take that same $200 and convert it to 1985 money, let's say you have about $100, and that's going to buy you a lot of live entertainment. I spoke with Ashley Capps, founder of AC Entertainment, the company that produces books and markets for venues and festivals nationwide, and I asked him about how much things have changed in the live music business since then. Well, you know, I think the the real thing that changed ticket prices in the in the entertainment business were sporting events. You know, I think promoters started taking a look at what was being, you know, charged even for college football games, and uh, you know, realizing you know the consumer was signaling you know, what they were willing to spend for entertainment. And um, that coupled with the fact that the costs of touring were going up, um, you know, whether it's gasoline or motel prices or, you know, just what people needed to be paid to make a living. So all of those things uh, started to play a factor. But I remember that that transition really starting to happen um in the late 80s and early 90s. And it's still happening. But for many people, I think sporting events, in a lot of ways, set that up and laid the groundwork for a rethinking of concert prices. Thank you so much for being here. You doing all right tonight? We sure appreciate you being down here at Green Acres in the rain and all. We want to thank Steve and Donna for inviting us back, and Niall Cuthbertson. I mean, Green Acres has two new latrines. It's really uptown, don't you think, folks? How about those Naugahyde seat covers, huh? Come on. Boy, those latrines look like the 747 on day 14, you know? I don't know. just like it was at Woodstock. 
would like to do a song for you that is our brand new single off of the Friday Night album. It just came out this week. And we're hoping that you'll hear it on the radio real soon. If you don't, call up your favorite country radio station and say, hey, pal, get off my cloud, okay? This features John on the lead vocals. And it's called Plant Your Fields. Speaking of the 80s, that was Newgrass Revival from Green Acres on a rainy September 9, 1989. 
They were touring on their ninth and final studio record, Friday Night in America, and it had two singles make the country charts in the U.S. and Canada. That song, Plant Your Fields, and Colin Baton Rouge. There was a freedom at Green Acres, both for the audience and musicians. As the saying went there, all rules are temporarily suspended. And that applied to the music being played as well. Artists knew that the Acres was the place where they could have a lot more leeway with their material, as Bela Fleck pointed out. I mean, John Hartford used to talk to me about um, how he put together his set list, because, you know, every place wasn't Green Acres, and sometimes he'd be playing at a state fair or in a library somewhere or, or even in a church. So he said he would, what he'd do is he'd, he'd do a song for the audience. He told me, I'll do one for them, uh, and then I'll do one for me. And if they like the one I did for me, I'll do another one for me. And if they don't like the one I did for me, I'll do another one for them. <laughs> and that's Makes how he sense. would make his set list. Because I asked him, man, you're such a, a consummate entertainer. You know, I always love how you just have a pulse on the audience and how, how far to push it. And that's just, just a simple, simple plan that always worked. So a lot of times you're doing the songs for them. That means doing the hit, doing the, the so for him it would be Gentle on My Mind or, you know, or Aeroplane or whatever it is people knew that they really wanted to hear. But they, once in a while he'd get a room where he could do anything he wanted. He could play his crooked fiddle tunes or, you know, crazy tunes he hadn't played in a long time or, or just an old country song or whatever he wanted to do. You know, but at Green Acres, you could really follow your bliss and go off into the deep end. And, you know, you get around to playing stuff people wanted to hear. And, and you wouldn't mind playing your hits for that audience either because you could also um, screw around with them and they would enjoy that too. There was some kind of connectedness between... Music lovers. Be, between, between our band and the people that came to Green Acres. And it, it, was, a, it was an experience. You came to the Acres to see your favorite bands... And you knew it was wide open. No police, no anything. Just you and the music, and there really weren't any rules. So bands could play whatever kind of music they like, and the audience could respond however they wanted. And it was just one big, it was like, I don't know, it was just one big festival. And there were these old church pews, and it was just a really kind of a family gathering type of thing more than a concert and um needless to say i fell in love with green acres that night it was it was just so much fun and the acoustics were great the people were fun and it was just such a laid-back experience i think that's what i really liked about it the most like it was a old-time family gathering and celebration of music those nights out there when when Bela Fleck and the Flecktones were there or Sam Bush or New Grass Revival or whatever, whoever was out there, those, those big, beautiful nights out there, if, if the weather was nice, there, there was nothing better than a good Green Acres show. I, I, there's, there was a feeling about it that was just magical. Um, it, you felt like you were very lucky to be there with those people at that time. That's that's kind of the vibe that I always had about that. And you remember that night that uh, when the Flecktones played Carnival that night? Not Carnival, uh, Caravan, that Duke Ellington song. And they just went to another planet. I mean, I've never seen anything bail yeah. on that crossfire. And they, they just had kicked everything up yeah. and just drive. And that was that energy. Uh, Gosh. The, the, those people, amazing. that crowd was putting up on that stage. And, and uh, that's... I always felt that. Sure. It was a strong, positive vibe, man. The Halloween. 
you know, the balls and parties, and we got to dress up and all that kind of thing. Those was always cool times. Uh, playing inside was very good. I came up there and saw White Rice's band and got to sit in one time with them. And, you know, it's different from the inside stage to the outside. You know, you could just sit up real close. And, uh, I mean, we had the old stove in there, you know, to keep warm. And uh, But the music was, was the only thing that needed to keep everybody warm. Playing at Green Acres was every much a bit as fun as attending a show. The crowds were loud, rowdy, attentive. Of course, the later the show went on, the more fun it was. Sandy Carlton, preceded by Darren Aldridge, Steve McMurray, Vicki Dameron, John Cowan, and Bela Fleck, talking about how the atmosphere at Green Acres made it easy to play so well. A case in point is this song a mammoth medley from the Sam Bush Band, live from the outdoor stage on June 7th, 1996. Are you with us, friend? Did you have a wonderful intermission? I love that word, intermission. Sounds like we're our parents when you say intermission. I like that. I like that. Session, uh, maybe I can play a little better. No, wait, not, not there, Johnny. 
You get them clapping with me on this one. You can get everybody with me now. I believe I can play a little better. Come on, y'all. If you get right with those little cow hooks right there.
Tell me that was not a jam. Mr. Entertainment, Sam Bush, John Cowan, Daryl Scott, and Larry LaRue, bookending that medley with Lowell George's song Sailing Shoes, with Robert Johnson's Crossroad Blues, and The Temptations' Papa Was a Rolling Stone. I don't think we can follow that with anything better, so that's a good place to pause in our journey through the history of Green Acres. More to come. Thanks for listening to Southern Songs and Stories, and thanks to our sponsors, Dynamite Roasting and our supporters on Patreon. A shout-out to Rob, Mitch, and Mark for being early adopters there. Thanks also to Jim Liverett for engineering help with the audio on this episode, and to Fooly Bear and Blue Turnip Music for leaving positive reviews on iTunes. I encourage you to spread the word about this podcast and consider helping us by subscribing and commenting on our show and by becoming a patron. Find out more at southernsongsandstories.com and at patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories. And you can keep up with us on our Facebook page, on Twitter at South Scenes, and Instagram at South Stories. This is Southern Songs and Stories, where we're showcasing the music of the South and the artists who make it. Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com. I remember the furniture. The furniture looked like it came from um, 10 different homes and 10 different churches, and there was nothing that matched, and it was all pretty, what can I say? How can I put this delicately? It was a uh, it was a bunch of old furniture out there, and you just you know pick your couch or pick your pew and and uh, just enjoy the music. But it was everything was kind of put together in a willy nilly way, but it all worked. You know the music was great. I remember WNCW didn't even have a banner then; we had a towel, and so we strung up a towel, and that was our big banner. And now, of course, we have about twenty banners that we put up. Perfect, the uh, <laughs> Green Acres with its bare light bulbs shrouded in a tomato can lighting up the WNCW <laughs> towel. 